Well, tonight I want to try to um, <clears throat> do something a little bit different. Um, on Sunday night, a lot of times, you know, obviously we preach most of the time, but I want to share basically kind of a, a lesson that I put together a while ago. <clears throat> it's, um, I call it, uh, I called it the, uh, um, let's see, hold on, give me a second, the, the, the Pyramid of Potential. I call it the Pyramid of Potential. And it's just something I came up with. I was going to share it last week uh, when we went at uh, the night of the carousel, but I knew it wasn't really going to be that awfully effective there. And so I decided to do it here. And so I want to talk to you a little bit tonight uh, just about what's needed as we build, uh, not just as a church, but as an individual in your own life. Um, There's some things we have to do. I mean, we think about a pyramid, you know, uh, it kind of goes up into a point and it starts off pretty wide, you know, and heads on up. And uh, there's just levels, you know, you got to kind of take things one step at a time, you know. And uh, so I want to talk a little bit about that today because, you know, if you get things out of balance in your life, then obviously things get, you know, you, you, start, you, you can easily, you know, fall. You can easily, um, you know, end up in the wrong place. And, and we don't want to do that. So <clears throat> whether it's as a church, uh, as a, a couple, a family, or as an individual, you know, there's some things we need to put in the right order. And ultimately, if we do that, then we'll have tremendous potential. Tremendous potential. But, but we have to make sure that things are in the right, right order. Um, <clears throat> potential is a wonderful thing. But if it's not built on some other things, it, it really it serves no purpose. I've watched so many people with tremendous potential literally waste potential. I, get, I have stopped saying things like that. I used to go around going, you have tremendous potential. I don't even say that anymore. That's just, in my opinion, it's a waste of time to say that to people. Uh, the bottom line is, is if they have no character, they have no potential. It's, it's that simple. I, I, can I be that bold and that blunt? If you have no character today, you have no potential. I don't care how good looking you are. I don't care how many talents you've got. doesn't matter how much you, you, you want to accomplish in life. You'll accomplish absolutely nothing for God. You'll accomplish nothing eternal if you have no character. That's just as simple as it is, okay? And so I got tired of saying things like, boy, you have so much potential, as if those were the secret words to get people to actually apply their potential. It doesn't work, let me tell you. I've learned that through the years. And what I found is that either you're willing to work at some things or you're not willing to succeed in life, especially in the Christian life. Because there's nothing easy about the Christian life. It takes work. It takes effort. It's a blessing, and boy, I tell you what, there's a lot of joy, and uh, it's just a, a wonderful thing. But to be successful in the Christian life demands a level of, of commitment and dedication. It doesn't just happen. You know, it's not like going to McDonald's and ordering a Happy Meal. It doesn't just happen. You don't get happy that quick in the Christian life with, without putting forth effort. You know, everybody, I'm a miserable Christian. You've got to put forth some effort. And so I kind of this, the, the pyramid of potential, it's, it's kind of like, okay, what do we need to do? How, what do we need to build on? What steps do we need to take kind of? And that's what I want to talk about a little bit tonight and try to be a blessing and help to you as we move along. But um, I, to do that, the guys are going to put up the little thing here and, and then I'm going to go ahead and kind of control it and I'm going to turn it on and off as we go here. Oh, it's probably on. I just got to go like that. See, they, they're on top of it. They got it together tonight. Um, so the pyramid of potential. Um, we start talking about the pyramid of potential. There's one thing. I mean, you think about a base, a foundation. Everybody already knows what it is. So with that said, let's have a word of prayer. And then we're going to kick that off 
with the foundation. Father, we come to you. Lord, we need you tonight. Lord, I do believe, <laughs> Lord, without a doubt, there's tremendous potential in this room. Every, every, every child of God, because you're in them, has so much potential. In most cases, we don't, even, we, we don't even scratch the surface of understanding how much potential we have. But tonight, Lord, I ask, Lord, you just help us just in these next moments to maybe get an idea of what it is we need in our life to help us to really enable that potential to blossom. And, Lord, we'll thank you for it. Now, help me, Lord. I, I, I'm struggling a little bit with my voice tonight. <clears throat> I, I feel I have to push a little harder than normal. And, Lord, I just feel like um, maybe I was rushed coming in. Lord, I was trying to, I, I, I need to get this thing done so quickly. And I'm just asking you to calm my heart. Help me, Father, just to relax. Lord, to just surrender myself wholly to you. I don't want to do anything in my flesh tonight. I don't want to say anything in my flesh. I don't want to uh, react or respond in my flesh now, Lord. I'm asking you now from this point on to fill me with your spirit for sure. Let me not, Father, operate in this old wicked sinful flesh. Father, be with your people. May we hear again with spiritual ears and just take these things that we're going to see and hear and uh, Lord, apply them to our lives to, to give them great thought and consideration. Lord, we need you tonight. Father, we're, we're so desperate for your touch. God, we'll thank you if, if you just do that for us tonight. And I know you want to. So, Lord, we open our hearts and our minds to you and just ask that you do a miracle in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so... <clears throat> First of all, and you can't see it in the front row, I know that, and that's why we're not going to have it up the whole time, but we have the person. We think about the pyramid of potential, we, we think about the person, the very basic, the very foundation. And of course, we know in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we read about that. And um, <clears throat> we, we recognize the fact that Jesus Christ himself is the foundation. If, if you hope to truly reach your potential as a child of God, then you're going to need to put Christ as your foundation. You just are. In the book of Corinthians, you know, it's talking about those in the Old Testament, but he says, and he did all drink and did all drink of the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But not only is Christ a rock, but in the New Testament, again, we read in 1 Corinthians 3.11, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the foundation. So when we start thinking about the pyramid of potential, if we want to really reach our potential, we have to very, very carefully examine our life and we need to ask ourselves, is Christ genuinely, is he sincerely the very root and foundation of my existence and being? It's not just a matter of, do I include God in my life? It's a matter of, do I build my life around and on God? That's the bottom line. So many times we're always trying to fit God into our lives. But that's never what God wants. What God wants is us to fit other things into His life. Because He is in us and we live, He lives through us and in us. So we need to add things to our life as they fit in retrospect to God, not the other way around. It's amazing to me. Well, I don't have time for this. I, I don't have time for my Bible. I don't have time for prayer. I don't have time for church. I don't have time for this. It's amazing to me. And yet we'll say things like, oh, the Lord is the foundation of my life. Oh, I'm building my life upon Christ. Really? That's interesting to me. It's funny that he's not first. But he's the foundation. I don't get that. You can't build on anything less than Jesus Christ and have a solid, secure foundation. It's impossible. It is impossible. And the fact is tonight is that if you want to fulfill or you want to truly reach your potential for Jesus Christ, you really want to accomplish something on behalf of the Lord, then you must make Him the foundation of your life. He must be the very basis of your life, at the very center of your life. Everything revolves around Him, not trying to kind of put him into everything else. The foundation, which is the person, Jesus Christ. And that relationship is so paramount. And without that relationship, you have nothing in the Christian life. This church is a joke if you don't have a real walk with God. Because in the end, you'll get tired of it like you do everything and everyone else. 
It just will not satisfy you. I'm telling you now, without a walk with Christ, this is not enough for you. We will never be able to meet your needs. We will never be able to fulfill your desires. We will never be able to add up to your expectations if you're not working on a relationship with Christ. That's just the bottom line. Because there's not a person in this room that won't let you down sooner or later. There's not a program that we'll institute that you'll continually and constantly be happy with. Because when it's all said and done, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that comes forth a walk with Christ. The moment we lose the walk with Christ, the moment we fail to have communion and intimate intercourse with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have real problems, friend. Real problems. The person. Then comes the purity. We're talking about reaching our potential. Fulfilling our potential. We have that communion, that that intimate fellowship. We have that, that relationship with Christ. We're building our life. We're building our marriage. We're building our home around Him. Everything has to fit into it, not Him fit into everything else. Now comes purity here. Because see, a relationship with Christ demands purity, requires purity. When you first get saved, man, I mean, the weight of the world, as we said, is off your shoulders. What a wonderful thing that is. You begin to try to take steps on behalf of Christ. And at first, I mean to tell you, if church was open every night, you'd be there. I mean, you can't wait to get in the Word of God. You can't wait to get in the house of God. You can't wait to hang out with the people of God. You are fired up. But as life begins to go on, the devil and time and distraction kind of infiltrate your life, your being, your mind. And before it's over with, if you're not careful, man, I tell you what, it becomes a chore. Because it just gets more difficult. But if you want to maintain that intimate walk with Christ, if you truly want to go forward in your walk with the Lord Jesus, then you must, you must focus on purity in your life. You cannot allow the sin of your past. You can't allow uh, the sin of the future to grab hold of you, to bind you, to chain you. You've got to be free of of that sin. You cannot let sin rule in your life. So we have the purity. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Our relationship with Christ starts off wonderfully. But what causes it to grow a little bit less appealing to us is sin. Christ isn't Christ shouldn't have to compete with our sin. But in a sense that's what happens in our life. This old flesh and sin has a tendency to kind of bog us down. We have a tendency to begin to look toward it and kind of enjoy it a little bit more than we enjoy our fellowship and our communion with God. And we're we're willing to sacrifice our walk in relationship with the Lord for some temporal pleasure in our life. That's just a reality. But if you want to reach your full potential for God and for the Lord Jesus, then purity and holiness is not optional in the least. It's not anyway, because one day we'll stand before Christ and give an account. But the reality is, is that if you want everything God wants for you, then you cannot allow sin in your life. You must walk pure, as he says here in 2 Corinthians 7. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If I said to you and asked you tonight, I say, do you, would you consider yourself a holy person? Not a good Christian. I said a holy person. There's a big difference. You can think yourself to be a good Christian and not be holy. I don't know how that works, but it does in our world because somehow we get the idea that you can be something or that you can do something without being something. So you can do the Christian life without being the Christian life. And the real Christian life is one of purity and holiness. But yet we can be doing good Christian things 
and not be good Christians at the heart. Because that's what our culture teaches us. That's what the world says. You can be immoral. You can be, um, you can be uh, unethical. But you can be extremely successful. How's that work? That's the world. But that's not God's economy. It doesn't work like that. <clears throat> if you want to reach your full potential then you're going to have to work at some purity here because you've got to maintain that relationship with Christ. And you can't maintain an a intimate relationship with Christ and have a bunch of other things on the side competing for, his atten- for your attention. You can't do that. God does not share us. He is a jealous God. Second <clears throat> Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing... That ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found in him in peace, without spot and blameless. That you be, you be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Wow. Okay. Again, question, are you spotless? If God would take the microscope in heaven and view our heart and our life, would he say that we are spotless? Someone says, that's just not realistic in this life. You know, we were born sinners. We can't help it. Well, God's telling us to be spotless. He obviously has made provision for that. Purity is a decision we make. And then it's those choices ultimately lead us into a lifestyle. And may I say that it's something we have to work at. It doesn't come easy. Temptation is always abounding in our life. We're going to have to make choices every single day. To just throw our hands in the air and say, you know what, it's useless, it's hopeless. I'm never going to be, I mean, I'll do the best I can, but, you know, everybody's got their pet sin, everybody's got their problems, and you know what, I'm, I'm doing a good Christian deed. I go to church and I teach and I read my Bible and pray. I'm doing the good Christian life. I'm a good Christian. No, 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 you need communion and fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ who saved you. And you can't maintain that kind of relationship as long as you're inviting sin into your life. <clears throat> James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Isn't that interesting? He's going to define this for us. What's real, genuine religion? What's pure religion? What's religion without all the, the fluff? You know? Just the real deal. What's real religion? Undefiled before God and the Father. Here it is. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. And to keep himself unspotted from the world. You know what he's saying? Undefiled religion, you know what it is? Doing and never getting a thank you. Never getting a thank you. Never expecting it. We're going to serve here as it says, visit the fatherless. When's the last time somebody that was fatherless, a child especially, uh, was able to put some money in your pocket? Was able to do anything for you at all? The widows, it says here, uh, visit the widows in their affliction, the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. These folks here are hurting. These folks here are in need of help. They don't have the ability financially. They probably don't have the ability uh, physically to do anything for us at all. But he says that's what pure religion is, is doing for them in their affliction, reaching out to people when they can't repay you in any way, shape, or form. And then he goes on to clarify, without spot and blameless. keeping himself unspotted from the world. There's pure religion, unspotted from the world. Unspotted from the world. Boy, I tell you what, we start taking some real spiritual tests, and it includes that standard. That's scary. Because in the world we live, we, we know the world doesn't care about whether you're pure or not. But sadly enough, doesn't it seem that even in the church, we kind of let that slide a little too? We do, don't we? It's, you know, you've got to embrace things and you've got to love people and you can't be too close-minded and you've got to just understand that we just have to be careful. I'm not talking about looking at everybody else's life. I'm talking about looking at our own. <clears throat> That's the standard. 
See, the person of Jesus Christ, we begin to build our life. But if we want to continue building that life, we want to continue to, to go forward and reaching our potential, then we must, we must embrace purity. If we're not willing to embrace purity, we stop right there. No more growth. It ends. Someone says, well, I still can memorize scripture. Yeah, you can in the flesh. And I, and I can still go to church and read my Bible and pray. Yeah, in the flesh. And I can still teach Sunday school in the flesh. And I can still go soul winning in the flesh. But God has so much more for us than that. So much more. We see the person. We note the purity. Purity. No amount of money, genius, or culture can move things for God. Holiness. Energizing the soul. The whole man aflame with love, with desire for more faith, more prayer, more zeal, more consecration is the secret of power. Any of our young people, singles, know who that wrote that? What's that sound like? What book do we just read? E.M. Bounds wrote that. That's right. Very good. It's amazing. That takes us to our next point then. We're going to reach our potential. It begins with the person, Jesus Christ. It continues with purity in our life. And then finally, and, and then we notice, <clears throat> oh, i got to do that one, the power. Then the power comes. See, there is no real power without purity. It does not exist. <clears throat> it's, it's kind of like those clouds without rain. That's what it's like in our life. We can make a lot of sound. We can do a lot of things. But there's no real power behind our words. There's no real power in our life. There's no real power to truly accomplish what God's called us to accomplish in an, in an eternal fashion until there is, first of all, the foundation Christ. We're building on a person in that, that communion, that fellowship with Him, and we're maintaining a life of purity and holiness. And then that's where the power comes from, the power that we need to live, the power we need to love, the power we need to lead. That's where the power comes. <clears throat> what the church needs today, from the words of Ian Bounds, is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods, but men whom the Holy Ghost can use, men of prayer, men mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. He does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men, men of prayer. In Romans chapter 6, turn there if you would please, verse 11. <clears throat> Romans chapter 6, verse 11. The Bible says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Verse 11, chapter 6, verse 11 of Romans. But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. I'm just going to ask a very quick question, and, and, and I don't need you to answer out loud, because I know what the answer is, but I want you to think about it. Has sin, have you ever been, as it says here, um... Has sin ever had dominion over you since you've been saved? And, and, you know, you don't have to answer. But has sin ever had dominion over you? According to the passage, it didn't have to be that way. See, according to the passage, he says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. If you're not under the law, but under grace. It shall not. He just says, it shall not have dominion. Therefore, sin doesn't really have dominion over you. We just too often 
yield to it. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin? Because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield, there it is, yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Do you see where we have a different ability? We have more power than we ever did. When we were lost, we didn't have the power to overcome sin, but now sin doesn't have dominion over us. Now we have the ability to yield ourselves either unto sin or righteousness. That is a decision we make. And you know what? If we're not trying and striving to be pure and clean before God, if we're not building our life upon Christ and that Him being our goal, then let me tell you something. We won't have the power to overcome sin in our life. We will truly be completely helpless to it. Galatians 2.20 The Apostle Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Ephesians 3, 7, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual working of His power. Ephesians 3, 20, now unto Him that is able to do exceedingly, abund- exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Ephesians six ten. finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Be strong in the what? The Lord. And what? In the power of His might. It's not our power, it's His. So here's the point then. When we, as a, as a believer, we need to understand that we've got to build on the person Christ. That communion, that fellowship. But then the purity is so important. Why? Because without it, we won't have His power. Without it, we won't have His ability to overcome sin. We'll be fighting the flesh in self. We'll be doing it in our flesh. We'll be trying to live a certain standard. We'll be trying to live up to God's moral code in our own flesh, in our own power, in our own strength. That doesn't work. It's, it's guaranteed failure. We're trying to reach our full potential for Christ. We're trying to get in a place where God can use us in a mighty way, where we can truly make an impact and influence lives in an eternal fashion. That won't happen until we put the right pieces in place. And it begins with that walk and that relationship with Christ, the person, Jesus. It continues with purity, separation, and holiness from sin unto the Lord Jesus, yielding ourselves, giving ourselves wholeheartedly to Him, not to the flesh and to the world. And then the power of God enters into our life, enabling us, providing for us, giving us the very strength we need. We make a decision to be pure. God says that purity pleases me. I give you the strength to overcome that sin as well as to do mighty things on my behalf. But you have to have a willing heart to forsake sin. So we see the person, the purity, the power. We see our pyramid forming here. Then comes the practice. Having a heart of purity is different than acting out life, living life. See, actions only reveal the heart. They aren't the heart. See, for us to go and covet money or to covet material gain of someone else's, that that is a symptom of a heart that's not pure. That in and of itself is not the problem. It's the heart that ultimately causes us to do what we do. So that's why it's important that our heart is pure because ultimately we'll have the power then to overcome and live the life we're supposed to live. But it starts with a heart that's yielded to Christ, given to the Lord that says, I want to be clean in your sight. I want to be pure in your sight. I want to be holy in your sight, God. I don't want impure thoughts and I don't want impure ideas floating through this mind of mine. I want to bring them into captivity. I want to hold them hostage and not have them hold me hostage. And when we get our heart right, the power of God is on our life, and we're able to live right now. We're able to do right. See, we're often trying to do right before our heart's right. 
We're trying to do right before our heart's even gotten right. We haven't made a decision to live a holy life for God even. We've come to the conclusion that it's impossible. We come to the conclusion that in the, the wicked world in which we live, the corrupt life, uh, lifestyles of the rich and famous that we are around all the time, we can't possibly live holy. We can't possibly live clean. And so I'm not going to make a commitment to God to be holy or to be clean because I'll fail. But in stu- so doing, we don't have any power to live right. And so what do we do? We come to church. And we say, well, I'm going to do the best I can because really if I can just read my Bible every morning, if I can discipline myself to pray, if, if I can go out soul winning, then everybody will think I'm a good person and I'll feel good about myself and it'll be okay and, 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 and I'll be a good Christian. And we think that's being a good Christian. I'm involved in Sunday school. I, I, I make treats for the bus ministry and I, do, I help in the nursery and I clean the church and I do this and I do that and I, 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 I. And we somehow convince ourselves that that means that we're okay. But it all goes back down to this right here. What's this? What's your relationship with Him? I mean, is there intimacy is there communion is there fellowship there because ultimately there'll be a desire to be pure because you can't be unclean in his presence and then when you get clean with god then the power of god comes on your life which will enable you to do the life to live the life to practice the life to be what god wants you to be on the outside not just on the inside Matthew 5.16 Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. But we love those works. And we're excited about that. We say, man, you need good works. But here's the truth. Good works aren't evidence always. I said always. Of a clean heart. But hold on. A nasty heart will ultimately always produce bad works. I get a little bit fed up with the idea that, well, see, God, you know, you're good, you know, just doing right doesn't, that's not, I mean, you had a good heart. That's right, but I can guarantee if you're doing wrong, you got a bad heart. I know that much. I might be able to fool you. You might be able to fool me. But I'll tell you what, if you're not living for God and you're not following the Word of God, then I don't even have to guess how your heart is. And somebody says, you can't judge anybody like that. What are you talking about? Isn't it thus say the Lord in this book? You're telling me that you can disobey God's word? You can be rebellious in your your life? You can go ahead and do things that God says are totally contrary to His word and that means your heart's right with Him? Is it truly possible? Is it possible for your children to disobey you and still be right with you? Can they say no to your face and you still say, well, you're still a good boy? You're still a good girl. I mean, is that really true? That's not true at all. And yet when it comes to God, if we're not careful, we get the idea that we don't have to live a certain way and we can still be good boys and girls. Don't work that way. What I know is that you can do some of the right things and not be pure in your heart and right with God. But I also know that if you're not obeying the Lord or at least doing your very best to do so, I know one thing for sure. Your heart is not where it needs to be with God. Would we agree with that? I'm not saying anybody's perfect around here. But I mean, there ought to be a heart desire to be right with God, to be clean. I just feel like we're going to have to stay here a while because it just feels like we're not getting through here. So... A man can look at pornography and his wife can join him. But that's okay because the two of them like it. It's okay together because whatever goes on in their life, that's their business. Uh-uh. Nope. Neither one of your heart's right. Let me just tell you that right now. None, none of your heart's right. That don't belong in a child of God's life. I don't care who agrees with it or who doesn't. Don't belong there. Don't belong there. Your heart ain't right with God. Listen, I don't, I don't have to judge you. God's Word just did. That, that, that's not pure thoughts. That's not what you ought to be thinking about. you got one wife and she's supposed to be that which pleases you and vice versa. You don't need someone else to do it. 
Now listen, don't be so bold to think you can be right with God in that blatantly disregarding his word. Okay, let's just, what else? Okay, that's a biggie, right? Let me tell you something I'm really concerned about. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm really concerned lately about drinking and Christians lately. I'm really concerned about it. You want to know why? Because I have Netflix, and I like to watch some of these Christian shows. You know what I'm starting to see on a lot of Christian shows? Christians are drinking wine all the time now. A little wine at their supper, wine at dinner time. I'm watching it. It's just the devil subtly putting that junk in there. And I think to myself, since when has it been all right for Christians to drink liquor? Since when has that been all right? Okay, maybe the last 20 or 30 years with this, this dispensation of grace that we seem to just happen to jump into in the last 30 years where all of a sudden as believers we're not judged based on our actions. We're only judged based on our relationship with Christ. And since I'm saved, I don't really have to live a certain way because I'm already good to go. Now, that's bull. Let me tell you something. I'm concerned. Listen, you start drinking alcohol in your home, I think you've got a heart problem. That's all there is to it. You've got a heart problem. Oh, I don't, have, I don't see it as a problem. I don't think it's wrong. I don't care. You read it, whatever, what the book says about alcohol in the Word of God. Just read every instance of it. Don't, just don't, take, don't, don't try to break it down and decide what the Word really means. And does wine mean this? And does wine mean that? Just read what the Bible says about liquor. Just read what it says about drink. Tell me, tell me what, what it says about it. Go ahead and look at people like Noah in the Old Testament when he went ahead and planted a vineyard and he got drunk and then there's two nations that come out of his loins, but unfortunately they were an ancestral relationship. Tell me what good comes out of alcohol in that book. Just tell me. Somebody says, well, that's not for you to judge. No, God already did. I appreciate you saying that because I don't like to judge, but he did. And let me tell you something. I'm watching it on these Christian television shows. It's driving me nuts. I told my wife just the other day, I said, I'm really concerned about the, 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 the direction that we're going here in Christianity because I see the next step. It's just like we're going to be there. Someone says, you're picking on my pet sin. That's my little sin. That's the area I struggle. You don't, you, I don't struggle with it, preacher. I'm totally, I have no conviction about it at all. Well, then why don't you read your Bible through once here soon and find out what the Bible says about alcohol and then you tell me if that's good for your family. That's all I want to know. Do you want your kids drinking alcohol? Well, no. When they get adults, they'll make their own decisions. Oh, that's good. They won't have a decision to make because you made it for them, teaching them it was okay to begin with. I'm sorry, but I have a real problem with alcohol. And listen, you want to teach Sunday school at Community Baptist Temple, please do not volunteer to be a Sunday school teacher if you drink alcohol. Please don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that for us. I don't want to have to find out about it and have to come to you and deal with it. I'm sorry, somebody says, you're getting a little bit tight, uptight about it. I'm not uptight about it. I don't like it. It's simple. You know where I stand on it. You know where the Bible says on it. If you don't, then read it yourself. There's something wrong with it. No young man in this room or a young lady ought to be out one out drinking. And you know what? I don't think any adult ought to be out drinking either. Amen. Thank you, preacher. We love that. It's such an encouraging message. But that's the practice. See, the practice is about doing the right things. The right things. But you can't do the right things. Until you got the power. And we're trying to do the right things without the power. And the problem is we don't have any purity of heart. Because our relationship with Christ isn't what it ought to be. Because we're determining who Christ is. And what he loves. And what he accepts. And what is okay in his mind. No, the word of God defines who he is. And what he appreciates. What he likes. What he doesn't like. And truthfully as his child. I owe him that. Person. Purity. Power. Practice. Potential. I want to reach my potential. How do I do that? You've got to start building right. You can't take these out of order. Why did, why, that, why brother was serving the Lord. He was fired up and faithful. Next thing you know, they just got up and walked out of the church. No, they didn't. They left a long time ago. Their heart was already corrupted. Their relationship with Christ, whether you know it or not, was a mess. And as a result, they didn't have the power to continue to do what they've been doing because they were doing it in the flesh to begin with. Or at least at some point. Someone says, nah, do what you want. Figure it out on your own. 
But let me tell you, biblically, it seems to me that I see a pattern lining up. We want the pyramid of, of potential. You want to truly fulfill your potential, reach it. Then you've got to keep it in order. This relationship is first and foremost. Then you have to be pure if you want to maintain that relationship because you have to be pure in the presence of God. You can't be sinful and continue to go into the presence of God. So you've got to have purity. And that purity in the person provides us with the power. And then the power gives us the ability to live the life we need to live. And then come the programs. Notice the programs come after all of that. What happens in churches now, and this is where it gets to be churches, is that the programs often try to take the place of the person, Jesus Christ. See, we try to somehow muster up a little excitement. So what do we have to do? If we're not going to do it through this personal walk, and let me tell you something, the personal walk is not an easy one to arrive at. It takes some real sacrifice in your life. Uh, the singles, we, we just got done reading that book, Power Through Prayer, and we kind of got this little uh, pat with one another. We kind of put this little thing together. We got a couple questions we asked each other from time to time. You know, uh, are you getting up with me? Are you up with me? What, what do you say? What's that supposed to mean? That means that if you set your time to get up, to enter into a relationship with God, not just to pray, but to actually meet with the Lord. Are you up with me? And then, how's your prayer life? Here's the thing. How's your prayer life isn't just, I'm praying. How your prayer life is, is am I truly meeting with Him? Is it getting better? Or is it getting worse? Or is it just, eh? Anybody can come to church three times a week if they just put their mind to it. You know, you go to work five days a week, six days a week, some seven days a week at times. You're able to do that. The truth is, if you want to be in church bad enough, you'd be here. Whether, I'm just, now watch this. That doesn't mean you're holy. That doesn't mean you've got to walk with God. That doesn't mean you're pure. That doesn't mean you've got any Holy Spirit power. That just means that you've got a little self-discipline, a little character. Character will take you a long ways in this life, but it won't help you reach your, it, it, will not help, it will not enable you to reach your full potential as a believer. It's not enough. That's not enough. Practice. So comes the program. The programs. See, practice is the right things. Now, the, the programs are the right way. Doing things the right way. And you know what? As a church, we have some programs. Our soul winning program. We've got a soul winning certification. We've got some other issues and, and, and Sunday school. And we've got bus ministry and some different programs that we put in place. But those in and of themselves are not a substitute for what we see here below. It has to build. It has to build. These programs will fall. They'll falter in the end. If, if we're building our, our ministry or life on those, we've got problems. And finally... Finally, then, we arrive at potential. And the potential is, is astronomical in your life today. So I want you to understand that. It is astronomical. Um, in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, you, you, you know it probably by heart. They in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. We're more than conquerors. Now again, that's in Christ, Okay. John 14, 12. Turn there. I love this passage. <clears throat> John 14, 12. In John chapter 14, verse 12, the Lord Jesus Christ, of course, is speaking. And he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Now, verily, man, he's trying to get our attention, isn't he? He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. What's he saying? He's going to his Father. So how in the world are we going to do bigger and better works? Well, first of all, he promised the Comforter, did he not? The Comforter. Literally, Christ in us, living in us. But here's the interesting thing. Greater works will we do than he did. Now watch. John, would you stand up, please? Brother Nathan, would you stand up? Brother Cody, would you stand up? Go ahead. Yeah, you stand up too, brother. Brother Bob, you stand up too. Why not? The whole row. Now watch this. 
greater works. Let, 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 just, let's read it one more time. Verily, verily, I send to you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Not the Holy Spirit in me. This is interesting. So I got one Christ here. Got the Holy Spirit in him. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. Greater works. How's that going to stop us? It's not just one Christ running around here. There's six of us now. And I have the ability in myself to do greater works according to the Word of God. But think about it from this perspective. Now all of a sudden we've got this army here. Filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Functioning and operating in the power of who? Christ alone. It's unlimited potential. Unlimited potential. I mean, think about what the Lord did. Thanks, gentlemen. You can have, be seated. Think about what the Lord did with a mere 12. There's more than that in this room. Isn't it amazing that they covered the world in a matter of a few years? You say, yeah, but the world was a lot smaller then. It was just the, the known world. No, I believe he covered the world. And, and if it was all that was known and all the people in the world lived in those areas, then he covered the world because he covered every person. I think every person had an opportunity to hear the gospel. Now listen, I, and that's, the Bible says the world. I, I don't know. I mean, I know what the world means today. I think that's what it means in the Bible. But look how many more we have to reach the world today. The potential is unlimited. The problem is, we've got a lot of potential. But it starts right here. It's not enough to have talent, ability. It's not enough to function in your own strength or your flesh. It's got to begin with communion and fellowship with the one who saved us, created us. It's entering into a walk with God. It's, it's, it's meeting with Him every day. It's Him being enough. And when you get in His presence, you realize to stay in His presence, I've got to keep sin out of my life. I've got to be pure because I can't be in God's presence without purity. And when you get the purity in the person, Jesus Christ, you have the power now of the Lord Jesus Christ functioning and operating in your life. You're not functioning in the flesh anymore. And now you have the ability to practice as God has defined it and outlined it in the Word of God. And it will be a joy to keep His commandments. It won't be grievous. Then we can institute the right programs because now there are Spirit-filled men and women of God practicing the Word of God. And the work of God will blow up because the potential is simply off the charts. And that's how it works. That's how it works in your life. That's how it works in the body of Christ. It all begins like this. This is the pyramid of potential. Without the foundational building blocks, there is no real potential. Potential sits on all of these factors. And God says the potential is astronomical. The local church is a program that God put in place, basically. Oh, you say it's an organism. Absolutely, it's Christ, I know. But He puts a plan in place to reach the world. It's a program. Going house to house, reaching people with the gospel. That's God's plan. Going into the highways and hedges and compelling them to come in. That's God's plan. Winning every creature, sharing the gospel with every creature, hoping to win every creature. That's God's program. And when we, we apply the program, already practicing the Word of God in our life, with the power of God, with a life that's pure, built on the foundation Christ, we can do anything. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Do you know why that's such a lame verse in most of our lives? Because He's not strengthening us. We're doing it in ourselves. We're, we're trying to fulfill the Christian life in our flesh. Just trying to live a set of rules and regulations. In your prayer life, why don't you take the time just to go to God and say, I'm not going to ask for one thing. I'm not even going to start praying.
until I know I'm in your presence. Why don't you do that for a while? You spend so much time begging God. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. Even in the same prayer, over and over and over and over. Repetitious even at some point. Not every day. I'm not talking about that, being, in, being uh, what's that called, importunity. I'm not talking about importunity. I'm talking about in one session. Listen, if I want John to, uh, to, uh, wash, uh, to wipe my car off tonight at the end of the service and get all the snow off of it, John. <laughs> if I'm standing out in that hallway and I'm trying to get John. Hey, John. Hey, John. Can you, can you wash my car off? John, can you wipe my car off? Hey, hey John. John, John, I'm talking to you. John, can you wipe my car off? Can you brush it off before I leave tonight? When I get here, hey, John, can you brush my car off for me tonight before I leave? I don't have to ask ten times. I got his ear. I'm right there in his presence. You know what? That's what we need to work on because that's where the power comes from, his presence. Prayer itself is not where the power comes from. Prayer is a means to get into the presence. And it's God's presence and power that we need. And tonight, there's the pyramid of potential. I want God to use me in a mighty way, and I know you do too. But we've got to make sure that things are in the right order. We don't get them out of order. Or what happens is, in essence, we're fully functioning in the flesh not the Spirit. And you know what? If it's not a faith, it's sin. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Lord, for all you've done for us.